so that's that's what happens with this kind of technology is that the path that you're heading along might not actually be the best path, right? And that only emerges at a later date. So I think that I think something like that's going on where it's like, you know, like an asymptotic line. It never actually hits the the target. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Great to be back with you again. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Bill Bennett, nice to have you with us today. Hi, Paul. Thank you for, for joining us in, in studio. It's been Always a little while. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it has been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Great, to, great to have you in the new podcast, New Zealand uh, HQ here in uh, City Road, Auckland. Now, special thank you to our show partners, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Guerrilla Technology and Deal. Thanks to them for their support of not only New Zealand Tech Podcast, but also the broader technology and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. Bill, before we kick in, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big wide world of tech and journalism. I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for a hell of a long time covering business and technology. Still do lots of business, still do lots of technology. These days, probably more telecommunications than general technology. I have a I have my own website, which is at the moment is mainly my newsletter, which is the download weekly. Um, though I will get back to putting uh, more regular stories on there, but at the moment I'm just too busy with the journalism, so um, that's where I am really. Great. Well, always good to have your insights, and I know we're going to have a bit of debate around a few topics oh, today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm very keen to uh, to to delve in. Uh, talk a little bit about what's happening uh, in New Zealand with Sky and um, some of their what's going on with their decoders, uh, whether the technology, uh, Darth Vader AI, I'm calling it, um, is a safe track to go down. Um, probably more importantly, this this huge data breach for Optus in Australia as to what's the right approach in terms of paying out ransom versus not and, and, and how they're handling that and a bunch of other topics there I'm keen to to delve into as well. What's happening in the, the world of uh, autonomous air taxis as we hear a bit of a wind down there from, from Kitty Hawk, Meta and, and Google sort of quietly laying off staff. But let's start on, on Sky, very locally relevant and of course yeah, a reasonable percentage of New Zealand's population uh, have been Sky subscribers uh, over the years. The, the picture has, of course, changed since we've had so many streaming streaming yeah. options. Yeah. Um, but th- we've got a change coming up, haven't we? And we've also, well, I guess there's two parts to the change. One is is uh, Vodafone, the Vodafone TV box, uh, which has been a, um, you know, a, a, a really cool option in terms of getting... Uh, getting access to Sky's uh, services and content in the past is is about to disappear, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's two things happening. One is is the um, the Skybox, which is the traditional satellite decoder, um, and it does other stuff. Box um, that's been that's been overdue for replacement for some time. I, mean, I think we've been talking about it being replaced for at least a couple of years now. Yeah. Certainly for some time, um, and that is being replaced, and that. There was talk of it being replaced by about now, but that's all been held up by COVID. And you know, it's we've 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 talked in the, on this on this podcast before about things like the supply chain problems and so on. So 
it's understandable that it's been held up and it's it, it's now going to happen. Sky's now saying that people will be able to get them by Christmas and you'll have to pay 200 bucks and it's basically a hybrid decoder. It's going to have a terabyte of storage in there. So 200 bucks for a terabyte of storage, um, you'll be able to decode uh, satellite um, uh, video and you'll be able to get broadband uh, video through that box as well. Um, it will run apps. It will almost certainly run rival apps. Like uh, Netflix. And yes. Oh, yes. It's definitely going to run Netflix. And possibly will uh, possibly Sky people will be able to get Spark Sports um, app on their um, decoder as well. And it's a bit controversial in some circles that people are expected to pay 200 bucks for it. And you can get away with not paying 200 bucks up front if you pay so much a month extra. Yeah, I think it was $10 uh, a month or something. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, but but I, I think, um, you know, you get quite a bit for your $200, but it would, it, you know, it, normally it would be the case where you get, say, a broadband account that you can get a modem when you sign up for a certain length of contract. And you might expect Sky to do that one given that um, their satellite um, subscriber numbers have been dropping. So I'm um, asking them to pay 200 bucks is probably a bit brave on their part, but there you go. The SkyPod is it's a streaming-only device. It's a broadband-only device. It doesn't include a satellite decoder and it doesn't include any storage, and that's $100. At the moment, oh, and it's also the replacement for the Vodafone TV box, which, again, was showing yeah, its age a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the moment, for, for the next few months, only people that are on Vodafone TV will be able to get the SkyPod. Um, and Sky say that at, for now... You can't convert from being a Sky Decoder customer to a SkyPod customer. Um, you know that that path isn't available to you at the moment. Although that could change in the future. But the problem with these things is, is because of the delays in getting the technology here, the supplies are short. Although the rollout will start by Christmas, not everyone will get their boxes by Christmas. Yeah, look, I uh, I think you know Vodafone did well with the Vodafone TV box. Well, it was tied in with them being part of Vodafone Group originally. It yeah. has running costs and so on associated with it. Now, these things aren't aren't free. You've got a whole lot of cloud uh, capabilities in in behind the scenes, and so now that now that they are uh, they they're no longer owned by Vodafone uh, Group, those costs will be, you know, very realistic. Well, yeah. they're they're all going to be passed on. And uh, I can see that just you know just didn't make sense. The tech, you know, as we know, technology moves reasonably quickly. Well, um, so it's been a reasonable run. But uh, you know, Vodafone to put that offer out of send your old uh, Vodafone TV back as as well. It's going to still. I think they're still. I think it's now on target to close end of November. But it was it was due to be closed by about now. Mm. I think they've held it back and held it back, and you know because of the because of people not being able to get the replacement boxes. I don't, I don't know if this is the f if we're on the second or third Vodafone TV box at the moment, the boxes that people, you know, the, the Vodafone TV boxes have. I've certainly on, there's mm. certainly been a couple of them. And we were talking mm. before the podcast started about how long ago we went to the first Vodafone TV launch. I think it was about a decade ago now. Getting on, it was certainly getting in on. The, in the early ultra-fast broadband, yeah. uh, you know, fibre days, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. And, yeah. and back then it was quite radical and um, it was it was – Really important. I mean, it's still important, but it was it was it was almost like the gateway drug into the UFB fiber was was kicked off by 
Vodafone TV. Um, that was the first wave of people switching from copper to fiber and getting something you know, fresh and new that they wouldn't be able to do before. Yeah, and, and I mean, at that stage, we didn't have the likes of Netflix even available in, in New Zealand. There was uh, no, no. There, was, there was virtually nothing. So well, well, we people were, people were accessing Netflix. Oh yeah, but we, we certainly were talking about yeah. that and how <laughs> yeah. how, how to uh, how to get it. But it hadn't been launched officially in New Zealand. Yeah, so and uh, I think the first one was Lightbox, of course, which was which was Spark. Mm. Um, and anyway, so 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 the thing is, we're at that point now. Sky seemed to have their act together. Um, and it's just a bit slow rolling out, and I don't think that, I don't think we can blame Sky for that. I think that's you know the the supply chain problems that are affecting anything technical at the moment. There's there's all kinds of problems um, elsewhere, mm. um, and there's there's been some sort of local shortages of PCs and other bits of kit as well. So it's finally happening. The logjam is the logjam is over mm. now. Moving to Australia, Optus, huge data breach. We were talking about this before the show. You've reminded me that regardless of what the numbers are, and there's there's some you know different comments around exactly how many, but it's sounding like it's in in the region of um, you know 10, 10 million people's data. Which, as you commented, well that's that's a third or more than a third of yeah. the Australian population whose data has been compromised. And, and we're not just, just talking about a name and an email address here, are we, Bill? Well, in some cases we are. Some of the data is a name and an email address, but a lot of the data includes things like either passports or driving licence numbers and so on because people, we, people, Optus were asking people for that information um, to verify their um, identity, and they were doing it online. And They say millions of driver's license and passport yeah. numbers yeah. stolen. So not just a very tiny percentage. No, it's, it's not it's a tiny, but it's, a, but it's a percentage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, 10 million people in a country like Australia is about, what, 27, 28 million population. Given that some of those will be babes in arms and, you know, not up to the mobile phone age, it's probably like 40% of people who could have a mobile phone account will, will be covered. You can really, I mean, Pretty much, there won't be a household in the country which isn't affected one way or another by that. So, so it's 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 absolutely major. What's emerged is that Optus were a bit. I mean, whether whether or not they were, I mean, obviously there was some negligence involved, or that wouldn't have happened. But whether or not they were, you know, how negligent they were is 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 going to be something that's going to be debated in Australia in in the coming weeks. It's already that's already started. I mean. We were looking at news stories earlier, and there's already fingers being pointed, and the uh, the, the ministers involved, and so on. Optus have um, they've come out punching. The CEO said, "Well, we're not really to blame for this," which is a bit rich. <laughs> it's probably a bit strong, but but the thing that Optus, where Optus was really naughty, if you like, and I'm going to use the word naughty because. It wasn't an illegal thing to do, but what they shouldn't have done is they shouldn't have kept things like passport numbers and driver's license numbers because they would, if they're using that for verification, you know, you, you you collect that number, you verify the person is who they say they are, and you can wipe that number from your database. There's no need to keep that, and this is something that a lot of corporations do. They're far too greedy about keeping personalized information that they don't actually need to keep. 
And that puts them at risk of something like this happening, which is far worse for Optus than if it had just been a name, uh, you know, a list of names and email addresses. Yeah, I think we need we need to take the lessons, don't we? There there, is, there can be some benefit of holding on to that information uh, in yeah. terms of needing to re-verify and, and and check, and you know, banks go through these things. Um, but you know, we we look back a couple of other cyber incidents. We you know we've talked about two local ones, uh, Ministry of Culture and Heritage. You know, they collected that information, left it in a. I think it was on a WordPress, uh, yeah. you know, website. Which uh, WordPress is huge, but using it to store that sort of data is, is an unwise approach. We, in, in my in my humble opinion, um, and we also had the one with uh, the KiwiSaver provider. I think Generate. Uh, they had that data it was left in an accessible sort of manner. Now that we've got these circumstances, hopefully, that's that's enough to change the thinking. Around storing that data, um, because yeah, yeah there look, yeah, there might be some some smaller benefit holding on to it, but when you look at these sort of scenarios, boy, the uh, the negative uh, impact of of keeping that, I mean, it's it's, yeah, it's literally millions of people um, whose identities are are at risk. Now and you could ask for it again as well. It's not yeah. hard. Um, yeah, the the, the th- we should remind ourselves that. Um, Optus is actually owned by Singtel, so it's a, it's owned by Singa- Singaporeans, and um, Optus has it's the number two mobile company, number two telco in Australia. They're very much the challenger, and they also they have things like business services and so on. So this is going to damage their reputation in those in those areas. I th- I think it's history tells us that these things they come. There's a lot of fuss for a while, and they do tend to blow over. We do tend to sort of forget you know, about big hacks um, a year or so after they've happened. But this is such a large one, and um, I just don't think it's going to go away that quickly. For yeah, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of fallout. There's, there's discussion around how it happened. Um, Claire O'Neill, the Home Affairs uh, Minister in Australia, said that the, the telco had effectively left the bat back door open to, you know, basic access and there's been some information shared online around a, um, an, an API, you know, a way that programmatically uh, someone could easily get in and and, uh, and pull the data. Also indications that um, the Australian government would be lifting fines for these sorts of breaches. Uh, now, New Zealand sort of went, went the other way with our new, you know, privacy legislation very, very light in terms of this sort of stuff happens. There, there isn't too much onus on on the company or or the directors. They have and mandatory reporting in Australia, so yeah. So uh, it's 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 very, very different. And look, hard to get hard to get this stuff right. You know, I hope we we learn the lessons and take the lessons away. And I think there will be many lessons from from just you know how an entity communicates. Uh, through through to, you know, what's being done to uh, to minimise the risk of these sorts of scenarios happening. I mean, it happened in Australia just before a long weekend as well because Australia had Thursday as the day of mourning That's right. for the Queen and um, huge numbers of people in Australia then took a four-day right. four break. Yeah. So it happened just as they were going into that. So it, so it dominated the news cycle for mm. four days pretty much. Mm. Mm. Um, which was which maximised the um, embarrassment for the 
for the company. Yeah, yeah. Um, which means it's going to be harder to forget. The one thing that was curious about this was the story that they paid a ransomware fee. This is this is the this is the big part, isn't yeah, it? Is, yeah, and, it and was, we often we often hear about the the ransom pieces. Yeah, maybe quite a bit later. Yeah. So, what's your take? So, well, should should they be paying a ransom or not? Well, for a start, it was one and a half million US dollars, which seems remarkably chump change in the, in the scheme yeah. of a, a multi billion dollar well, enterprise. Not only that, but the fines they face from the Australian government will be way way more than mm. than that. Should they have paid it? Well, no. I, I, you know my views on this. They shouldn't pay. You just simply shouldn't pay. If, if nobody paid ransomware fees, there wouldn't be any more ransomware, right? It's you, you're you're actually handing over the initiative to the other side. I don't think you should pay. I mean, I, I, I actually think that you know a company like Optus should be um, hiring a team of international detectives to go in and find these guys and make sure they're brought to justice, but. But I, I'm I'm quite hawkish about that, and um, the reason I don't think you should pay is because I think once you've paid once, you become the target for everyone. It's got you know you're going to find a lot of people now thinking, okay, well, you know, so Optus paid up. Wonder where we can get into their systems. So I think the trouble is is by paying up and being and and, and allowing it to be public that you have paid up. You're actually opening yourself to further threats. Look, I I think it is really complex. The, the latest updates I've seen this afternoon were saying that personal records of ten thousand Optus customers were released as a as a way to uh, put pressure on Optus to pay that one and a half million. So suggesting that it hadn't been paid. The the next report after that is. Um, that there's some sort of backflip from the uh, the hacker, but yeah. there's suggestions they're going to keep releasing data. Now, I would stand on your side to a degree. So, look, if we could all just not pay these things yeah. when they happen, yep, that's absolutely ideal. It's gonna it's gonna stop. Reality is that there will always be probably you know entities that are paying it. And we we looked at the uh, the big pipeline hack in the in the US. And for the you know the impact of it, it was again a, a small fee in the scheme of it. It was four point something million, I think, USD. Apparently, they they paid that ransom uh, with the help of the FBI, even involved, oh. even involved in the you know in the process. Now, if they hadn't, the consequences could have been much much larger. Now, yeah. I totally see what you're saying. And it was probably you know similar when we had um, you know Waikato District Health Board scenario here. Like, look, it's probably not a lot of money. Yes, it it encourages it to continue, but we know there's enough people paying that it's it's not going anywhere anyway. So, if Waikato District Health Board had paid that, then the chances are re- reasonably high that. The confidential patient data that was leaked would not have been would not have been leaked. So the consequent, you know, there would have been some benefit in paying yeah, it. Look, it's, it's, it, uh, it, it, it. I mean, it's not. As, I, I mean, I made it sound like it's simple, and it's not that simple. But there are countries where it's actually legal to pay those ransomware um, demands, and potentially it could be in New Zealand as well, yeah. because we we you know we do have laws about dealing with sanctioned yeah. countries, 
and you don't necessarily know for sure where that money's going, no. right? So if it were going to North Korea, for instance, then you're potentially going to get into some hot water by yeah. paying, you yeah. know, paying that that ransom. Just as an yeah. example, I mean, we and we don't we we don't really know where this hat comes from. The um, the Australians so far have all they've disclosed is it comes from somewhere in Eastern Europe. Well, that's a lot of candidates for that. Mm, mm. Um, they it may be that they know and they're not actually spelling it out. Um, mm, mm. But Eastern Europe does seem to be the source for a lot of these things. At first, when when this first happened, um, there was the fear that it was a state actor, you know, a government mm, a mm, government mm. Um, sponsored hack from someone. It's beginning to it's well, it certainly doesn't look like that now. Well, let let's see where this goes. Um, yeah, looking at some, and I don't know whether this is correct information suggesting that the hacker may have deleted deleted the data and that it was a mistake and rah rah. <laughs> Let, let's hope this data isn't actually leaked, and uh, and that this is just a big, a big warning for everyone. Even if it is, of course, we know that there are going to be, there are going to be future hacks, and yeah. we do need to still keep keep stepping up from a cybersecurity standpoint. Um, you know, as a country, and uh, obviously as to uh, as to others. Yeah, I mean, we we I mean, it's it's fortunate that it happened in Australia and not here, but it could have been here. Yep, and and there may well be you know Kiwis whose whose data is in there as well who have had oh there will be if there's, if there's so ten million right, Australians so there'll be a lot of people who've yeah. lived in Australia yeah. yeah yeah now James Earl Jones the voice of Darth Vader um, we are being told that James Earl Jones has effectively you know retired. 91 years old, um, and he's been the voice of Darth Vader since since the very the very beginning. Um, and that artificial intelligence is uh, has 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 taken over, um, and that's what we're that's what we're now starting to uh, um, starting to hear, uh, and the content coming through from yeah, his, from from Disney. His voice is emulated by a. Speech synthesis, some way by AI. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've this has generally been talked about in the past with actors being, um, you know, particularly Hollywood stars who are no longer with us being able to be revived and put into movies. You know, so you could, for example, have a modern movie with say, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart in the in the thing, done by AI. For a long time, I mean, if probably about. A decade ago, when this was first talked about, people were worried that there would be no more Hollywood stars because you know it would become they would be just become franchise properties who would be replicated by AI and so on. Well, that hasn't really happened. That's, that's never really kicked in in any major way. For something like this, I think it's probably acceptable to the fans that, that it happens this way as well. But it's it's interesting that it should be voice. Um, and it seems that the, the the guy involved has given his blessing for it to happen, which is fine. But there there are I know there have been actors who said they don't want this to happen after they've um, after they've passed on. So it's a kind of ethical thing, isn't it? And how and how do you how do you get it right? So if they're still making new content in fifty years time, yeah. you know, is the agreement such that his estate 
you know, keeps getting royalties oh. or getting, you know, payments over that, you know, over that period. You know, there could be some interesting sort of upsides in, in, in those regards. On another side, it, it means that a, a new voice actor isn't able to, uh, yeah. isn't able to take over the role. But we have come a long way in terms of the technology over that period of time. And I don't know, let's just say that, let's say as a journalist, you can uh, you can put a bit of info into the into the system. It can read all your existing stories, and you could get a system that's basically going to write your articles for you, or some you know the people that could hire you. So they could hire a virtual Bill Bennett yeah. to do the job in the future if the AI sort of was able to stand up to it, and still get that kind of uniqueness of of how you analyze and and write. Would you want that sort of thing to happen? I got paid. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So I guess you know we we are we are going in a particular direction, aren't yeah. we? On these things, where where you know AI can do more and more, and we can get AI to write articles. You know, there's a lot of you know there's there's certain types of content today. Um, we are thinking of sort of um, you know uh, share um, and stock sort of reports and things like that that are, that are AI generated. Um, yeah. there, there are AI you know tools online to write blog posts and yeah, and things right. for you. Um, as far as the voice, it look, it's inevitable, but how we kind of navigate this, I think we have to watch fairly closely. see the, the the whole subject of sort of deep fakes and and them being used in bad yeah. ways has been has been raised, and we've heard of um, uh, these sort of you know vishing or voice phishing type uh, scenarios where um, we're told that apparently there was a case where somebody got a call from what sounded like their boss and was you know trying to give them some directions, and uh, you know in actual fact the whole thing was was synthesised. Well, well, look, the thing is, it's that there are. Seven or eight billion people in the world. There must be someone else who sounds like that guy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> or, or or could emulate. Yeah, it, or good it? enough. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Close enough. There must be. So, um, so I think it's I think it's uh, more to do with his branding, as his name and everything, as his name, yeah. than, he, than the actual sound of his voice. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I think that, and I, and I think that's that's the key there. That it's 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 about branding and it's about some continuity. It's also got Star Wars back in the newspapers again, you know. So. Yeah, they're always looking for any yeah. media attention. So it's a bit right? of publicity for them as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we've read about uh, the shutdown of Kitty Hawk. Now this was the company was was founded and funded by um, Google co-founder uh, Larry Page as a as an air taxi startup, and I think they had three different projects that they were working on. And one of those had already wound down and uh, have had a recollection on it, maybe looking somewhat unsafe in terms of where the track they were going with that. They'd now wind down the company entirely, is what, what we're hearing. But they had done a joint venture with Boeing, which was the Whisk um, product or Cora, as it was a, uh, originally known. I think still still they have that for the actual. Um, Aircraft as an autonomous air taxi, and of course, Cora and and Whisk had been operating uh, in the South Island testing that product, and so it looks as though Whisk is going forward, but you know, Kitty Hawk themselves are uh, uh, are shutting down. What are your What do you sort of make 
of of this because it, it did sort of seem within that, um, I guess, what sometimes gets referred to as sort of moonshot, you know, type yeah, category. Yeah. Like, you know, you're really shooting for something that is new, it's risky, uh, it's, you know, it re- probably requires a lot of time and a lot of money, you know, to pull off and there's just no no guarantee. So maybe this was predictable from the get-go. I think so. I think I think it was high risk, but I think, you know, Page is in a position to go for high risk. And the other thing about um, Larry Page and Google in general is they are not, as, a, as an organisation, they are not squeamish about Killing off projects. Yes, yes. I mean, they've always been they've always been willing to do that, which is actually kind of a good thing, you know, rather than just keeping the poor money into a black hole. Look, the thing about the technology involved is, and it, I, I think this is similar to things like um, driverless vehicles and so on, is that you can appear to if you if you look at the technology progress that you're making as an organisation, mm. you can appear to be making really fast. Progress, and you draw a you draw a straight line on your progress. And you think ten years from now we'll have this working um, sky taxi, yeah, you know, and sky taxi service, and it'll be able to take four people and whisk them off to the cinema and, and so on. And it looked like that. And then what tends to happen with some of these technologies is the closer you get, the more you realise has to be done. To finish it. It's like the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and that's exactly what's <laughs> been happening with driverless cars. Is you, the closer you get, the you realise that the actual goal of a fully autonomous vehicle that could drive from Auckland to Wellington, you know, along the desert road and everything, uh, in all conditions and so on, actually starts to look much, much harder once you get beyond having something go at uh, 20 k's slowly round the Wynyard Quarter. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's and I think that's exactly the same thing that these are up at these these people are up against with this project is that the further you get down the path, the more progress you're making early on, the you start to realise that there's these barriers which are they're not necessarily insurmountable, but you know, a, a new piece of technology is needed or some fresh thinking from another direction is needed. You know, for a long time, for example, with um, understanding human speech, it was all about the algorithms and so on. And then eventually, the, eventually, the problem was solved. I mean, it's not perfect today, but it's it's close to perfect just by throwing sheer volume of processing power at the problem and vast scads of data. And but thirty years ago, that wasn't even on the agenda. That wasn't the possibility. It was all about the clever algorithms. So that's that's what happens with. This kind of technology is that the path that you're heading along might not actually be the best path, right? And that only emerges at a later date. So I think that I think something like that's going on where it's like it's asymptotic. You know, you get you know like an asymptotic line; it never actually hits the the target. It's it's something like that where the closer you get, the more you realise it is, the harder it is. And mm, mm. I suspect that the problem in this case, and I, I, I and I'm, I'm purely guessing but this is from my experience of covering technology over the years it started to look like it was getting more and more expensive to get to that point and that doesn't mean it can't be done but it does mean that the economics of picking people up in an air taxi and taking them to the movies starts to look you know like it's not going to happen and you might you know it might be cheaper to take them in a limousine to the movies or whatever yeah, yeah 
Yeah, look, I'm, I mean, I'm really curious about this particular era because it is one. It is one of those kind of just wow, you know, crazy eras when we first heard about it. Um, we 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 look at uh, we you know where where we've got to in terms of drones and the idea of one that's bit bigger and can carry people it doesn't sound you know it doesn't sound so so far-fetched so I'm um, very very curious to see how it progresses I think um, but it, but it's it's clear it is a big challenge to to knock off and to get it right and yeah well, maybe maybe we're still talking about this in uh, in another decade thing that came to mind when I when we, when I saw this story was um before I left the UK to come to New Zealand, which was a long time, almost 40 years ago, I was my, my job was I was the comms person for, um, for for space science in the UK. And I remember at that time the there was talk about manned missions to places like the moon and Mars and so on. We're still talking about manned missions to the moon and Mars and so on. But now that we know a lot more about Space travel—it's mm. actually mm. a lot harder. Mm. So mm. we now we now know from people being in the in the space station in weightless conditions for long periods of time that you know if you take a if you take a long journey across the solar system, someone's going to end up a piece of jelly at the other end because they haven't had gravity for yeah. you know so yeah. so yeah. long. And but that problem wasn't a problem that was on the agenda in the in the nineteen eighties because we didn't know that then. Yes. Yeah. So it's that same thing that you know. You can anticipate all the problems that you see in front of you, but but when you get further down the path, you see a whole lot more. Yeah, you see a whole yeah, lot more problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've certainly got a fascinating time ahead. I've been following some of the uh, some of the stocks because there's a few of these uh, autonomous air taxi kind of firms that are that are listed companies, right? And they've attracted a lot of attention because it's such an interesting and a cool field. So people will, I guess, pop them up to higher prices, but. As with other things that have come down over the last couple of years, we've definitely seen uh, seen that drop away. I guess partly because of you know what Whisk have done here in New Zealand and sort of their their approach. Uh, I'm still very hopeful that they'll they'll pull something off. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I I I think that there's probably a technical breakthrough that has to happen. You know, I know lighter batteries or something that's that doesn't seem to be on the immediate horizon. And that yeah, that's part of the challenge is the amount of time they can get in the air. Now onto um, onto other topics. We're hearing that the National Transport Safety Board, this is in in the US, they've they've been doing some uh, some work recently uh, around accidents, and they've landed on a conclusion that we should have breathalysers to to sort of check for alcohol within. Vehicles. This technology should just be built in, just a standard part of the part of what a vehicle has, just like it has a speedometer and it has a, you know, steering wheel and a brake and and um, uh, you know, but from a safety perspective, that uh, you know, seat belts have become the norm and airbags have become the norm. Um, I f- I find this one um, quite fascinating. Do you ha- do you have a have a viewpoint well, on this? Because, of course, yeah. once you start going down that track, yeah. it's like, where do you draw the line? Do you, do you have an AI that kind of looks at your eyes? It's like, oh, you know, the AI says, well, you know, you might not have been drinking, but you've had XYZ drugs, or well, there's all sorts of directions you, could, you, you, could, you it, could go with this, or uh, or you're a little bit tired, and this and that. Yeah. And and so how safe, well, how it, safe should we make it? If you're a little bit tired, you should 
probably not drive anyway. So that's that's okay. But I was thinking it can't be to do with detecting alcohol in the in the car because you know if Jeeves is driving and um, Bertie Wooster's in the back with a bottle of champagne, <laughs> you know that would the car wouldn't start. So it, so you know it's, it has to be about the driver, and it, so it has to be AI detecting things. And um, there's all kinds of potential for it to. Um, you know, someone might have, I don't know, some kind of condition um, which may look to an AI like someone's drunk and, in fact, they're not. They, they, you know, that can or if it's sensing alcohol, that it's sensing sensing the uh, breath freshener or, yeah, or, you know, other or, things, or, right? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's complicated. Obviously, obviously, they have an idea about how they're going to do this, right? It's a good idea if they can pull it off. But I think that it's the potential for it to go. There's two things, right? One is it's the potential for it to be another one of those things that we get closer to and closer to and don't never actually reach, right? There's that potential. But there's also the potential that it's going to be a lot of false positives. Mm. And mm. you're going to find that, you know, you've worked really hard um, all day. You just want to get in your car and get home. You haven't had a drink or anything. And the car says, nope, sorry, I'm not going to let you do that. You're not fit to drive. Yeah, and on and on the flip side, if if it is just sort of a breathalyzer type technology, then you know people find some ways to uh, you oh, know yeah. to work around and to and to disconnect those those types of things, don't they? Oh, so, um, yeah. Um, not not to say they shouldn't try it, um, and uh, and if they try it as far away as as uh, as North America, by the time they figured it out, we probably would have figured out autonomous cars and yeah, exactly. and other things by then. So we we will see. But you know, we have that goal in New Zealand, getting the road toll down to down to zero, and in, in their timeline, um, you know, the only way you get to those sort of figures is very much technological. It's not about slowing everyone down yeah. so that you you can you know you drive around well, your neighbourhood. You know, at yeah. almost walking walking distance. Uh, I think the other thing is is that a lot of modern vehicles are inherently unsafe. Pedestrians, for example, mm. I mean, yeah, like those yeah, yeah. huge truck like cars. Yeah, you um, get hit with one of those going at speed. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, you get hit by. You're going to get taken out. Hit by a 1960s Mazda, and you know you're going to get a, a minor scratch. Hit by a huge monster truck. Even at a few k's yeah, an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's there's definitely some uh, some things to con- consider on that front. Now we've heard about Meta, uh, Facebook, and Google cutting staff via sort of uh, quiet layoffs. Now I don't know whether the, you know this is this is just a public relations thing or you know well, why we are seeing this kind of new approach where you know teams are getting reorganized or, or disbanded and uh, people are being told they've moved to other roles but without their maybe being the um, you know such ex- explicit communications around uh, exactly yeah. what's happening what, what what happened for a long time organizations like Facebook and Google um, and a lot of those big tech firms they were desperate for talent and they'd go out and they would they almost indiscriminately hire dozens, even hundreds of engineers to fill roles. And they could never quite get enough. So they would they would they probably overdid it at various times. And they probably and they certainly would have overdid it, overdone it rather in the last couple of years. The thing is, is the the economics have changed. I mean both those companies are now relatively mature businesses. 
and uh, they're not going to see the same growth that took them from you know zero to bill, you know trillion dollar organizations that they are today even, so, even if the share prices of recent times have somewhat suggested that they would still keep growing at those rates, right? Yeah, but they're not going. They, they, it just isn't there. Yeah, the, yeah. There's just not that much headroom there. So I think for a start, there's 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 that. The other thing is is um, that both of these companies are dependent on advertising revenue, and that's down because of the um, a, a lot of that has gone because of Apple changing the privacy settings on an iPhone which means that you can now decide that you don't want Facebook or Google um, sending information about you know the sites that you visit and the things that you they do and the apps. They can't personalise the advertising yeah. Yeah, any, uh, anymore and, and that's an essential part of making uh, uh, their advertising. Exactly. Work. And, I, and, I, yeah. and I, th- I think that it's only now becoming apparent just how dependent those companies were on that. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's that's on the way out too. Will there be mass layoffs across Silicon Valley? Probably not because there's probably other organisations that use a lot of those people. Uh, I I think you're right. Now, um, before we wrap up, one last topic that caught my attention was ransomware, the Lockbit ransomware uh, builder. So this this is a tool that can be used to make ransomware apparently leaked online by, um, by what one media source suggested was an angry developer. Now, what this does is it, I guess, put puts in the hands of, of anybody, anybody at all, and it doesn't, you know, doesn't effectively cost a, a, a cent. Well, you, you do need to be able to, you know, host and run the software, but it puts it in a position where, where really anybody can get into the ransomware game. Now, this has been available uh, through other mechanisms, you know, for, for, for quite some time, but you know when this stuff is just um, made available on GitHub, and anybody can download the code and uh, and get to it, could could lead to something of a um, of an increased escalation in in ransomware. The thing that I think we need to put, put need to put this in context is that computer crime, online crime, is has supply chains just the same as anything else these days. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's and at one point in the supply chain is this organization which builds the ransomware software. You know, and there's other people further down the supply chain who actually, you know, use it and know how to extract money or mm. you know mm. uh, or, or whatever. So it's it's just one part of the supply chain. Mm. Um I th- I suspect that there will be some increased activity because there'll be other people that think, well, oh, I've got my hands on some decent ransomware. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I can go and use it. And, and it has happened. We've seen similar things happen. You know, happen, happen. Uh, you know, happen in the past. Yeah, but I, I well, I was thinking in the past we used to talk about those script kiddies. Mm. You know, the people basically who could just use packaged ways of putting together viruses and so on. And it's a bit like it's a bit like that, really. It's just been a modern version of that. Look, there's, you know, there's infinite uh, room for more criminal activity in the world, unfortunately. Um, so I think that they're probably nobody wants to hear that though. Dale, no, no, do we? No, we don't no, really want to no, hear no. that. But, but, but it is it is it is true. There's a, there's a, there's a lot a lot of potential. But I was also thinking, Paul, the flip side of that is, is if you can download that off GitHub or wherever, right? And you are a you know first class. Um, cybersecurity expert, you could probably figure out how to solve, how to stop 
a lot of ransomware as well by just unpicking that software. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think there's there's certainly always benefits from a uh, you know a learning perspective, and and it might not you know even be in those in those scenario just you know for folks that are coming into the sector to learn and to uh, and to understand because you can pick apart the code and so on and and depending on what the uh, you know the approach is to the encryption yeah there may not be any easy way around it other than having the, d- the decryption key um, but having access to that code gives you the gives you the best chance of, of looking and uh, um, figuring figuring it out um, but yeah very um, very interesting times, uh, and look, I think you know this week just a, another reminder that our organisations need to, uh, you know, we need to keep stepping up and improving yeah. from a cybersecurity perspective. I was uh, in Wellington over the weekend to uh, to speak to a nationwide organisation about cybersecurity, and yeah, it was it was a fascinating discussion with uh, you know with with some of the um, some of the folks that um, that I spoke with, and it's uh, it's an organisation with sort of you know a lot of franchises around the country, and we have this this huge challenge in New Zealand. It's certainly not unique to New Zealand, but small business owners have got so many things to think about, and trying to think about uh, cyber security as as just another you know another big big challenge I, I, I that's think often just not it's not even you know given the time of day because there no. are so many other things to, to worry about I, I think that's true right but I think also the more that the information is out there in the open and the more people talk about it and think about it the more aware people become because actually you can you can go like a long long way to protecting your organization from um, ransomware and so on if people are just informed about the risks yeah, and, 100%. You know, and basic practices like two-factor authentication, mm. mm. trusting nothing, you know, trusting nobody yeah. um, and so on. And, you know, really it's a, it's a training exercise. I, would, I think that the money spent on training people in tackling um, computer security issues is probably far better than spending, certainly better than spending money on products that will... Um, provide you with a degree of security. Maybe services is another matter because probably depends. You know, depends on the products, and yeah. um, you know, most organisations need a, you know, they need a combination yeah. of approaches you, you some, and, in order to in order to do it. And a, and a, le- a level of that is sort of you know, having the right the right tools and you know yeah. the technologies and configuring them appropriate and and you know monitoring but, and, and actually just you know, being aware and taking on. an interest in what's what's happening in. in in security circles, mm. you know, and and knowing that this particular threat is going around at the moment is yeah. Yeah. a long way, to, long way to solving the problem. We're finished. Yep. That's us, Bill. Thank you very much for joining us, and a huge thank you not only to you, Bill, but to our <laughs> show partners: Two Degrees, Vodafone, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Thank you to those firms for uh, for their ongoing support of. The New Zealand Tech Podcast and and their broader support of the um, you know tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. Bill, for those who are wanting to uh, check out your blog, sign up for the newsletter. Where do they need to go? Uh, BillBennett.co.nz and I'm on Twitter as BillBennettNZ. Awesome. And that's two N's, two T's. Two N's, two T's. Yeah. Yep. Don't forget it, folks. <laughs> and of course, if you're if you're watching this on the live stream. 
definitely make sure you get into whatever podcast app you've got available on your, your phone and get yourself subscribed or, or follow uh, NZ Tech Podcast. It's free. If you're listening to the audio, then you can also you can follow me on LinkedIn if you want to catch uh, the live videos and get this content first. You can also subscribe on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you're using YouTube, you do need to make sure you hit the bell, etc. And in fact, there are some similar things you can do on on LinkedIn to sort of get you know get notifications as well. Um, but we're across LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. So whichever of those you use, um, yeah, feel free to uh, uh, to follow so you get access to the uh, the content when it's live and uh, and fresh. All right, that's us. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Paul. All it's right. always a pleasure to be here. Catch you all later. Cheers. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.